Chippy the parakeet never saw it coming. One second, he was peacefully perched in his cage, singing, and the next, he was sucked in, washed up, and blown over. His problem began when his owner decided to clean up his cage with her vacuum cleaner. She stuck the nozzle in to suck up the seeds and the feathers in the bottom of the cage, and the phone suddenly rang, and instinctively she turned to pick it up and had barely said hello before, you know, Chippy was sucked into the vacuum sweeper. She gasped. She dropped the phone, snapped off the vacuum cleaner. With her heart in her mouth, she unzipped the bag, and there was Chippy, alive but stunned, covered with heavy black dust. So she grabbed him and rushed to the bathtub and turned on the faucet full blast and held Chippy <laughs> under the torrent of ice-cold water, power-washing him clean. And then she did what compassionate pet owners would do. She snatched up the hairdryer and blasted the wet and shivering little bird with hot air. Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. You know, everybody, everybody has them. Not the problems like Chippy had, but we got problems, trials, difficulties. And if you're not currently dealing with one, then be grateful, but also be patient. Another one will be along shortly. They go by various names, obstacles, worries, uncertainties, complications, difficulties, you name it. And for most people, for many people, and sadly, for a lot of Christians, the most common method of dealing with the trials of life is silence. We don't often talk about them. I think the reason why is because some people have learned it's not always safe to just openly confess as to having too many problems. As one person has written, the Christian army is the only one that sometimes shoots its own wounded. Others have been taught that the Christian way to deal with trials is, well, you just pray them away. In other words, if you've got enough faith, you believe the right doctrine, you can be free from trials and stress and heartache and disappointment. And the problem with that is, is when you start believing that, then the Christian life starts being measured by how the lack of trials instead of our response during the trials to God. And we're so, so tempted to focus on eliminating our, all of our pain when our goal really should be as believers is we want to be more like Jesus Christ, even in the midst of our suffering. So rather than living in denial about the painful realities of life, what we need to do is we need to get real by laying a solid foundation when it comes to achieving victory over the trials of life that God throws at us or life throws at us, you may remember this prayer, very popular, called the serenity prayer. It says, God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Have you heard this before? Courage to change the things I can and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, it's that idea of wisdom I want us to begin this new sermon series with. 
especially the kind of wisdom the Bible talks about. So there are four basic principles. Let's begin. Four basic principles you and I need to understand. Number one, it is incorrect to think that once you become a Christian, all your trials will be over. Some preachers and teachers will say, well, now you just come to Christ. Everything's going to go great in your life. Everything will be smooth. Yet the Bible never says this. And, and we do a disservice to people when we tell them. Number two, it is incorrect to say that all problems we have are discussed in the Bible because they're not. For far, far more problems than we think are specifically discussed in its pages. But too often, we attempt to speak with authority on issues that the Bible really doesn't address. Principle number, number three, it is incorrect to believe that having trials in your life is a sign of spiritual immaturity. That's not true either. Spirituality is never measured by the number of problems you have or don't have. Problems are just a, an inseparable part of being human. And we go through life, we're going to have them. It's a hurting, fallen world. We all experience them, just as guys in the Bible, Job and Paul and Peter and the disciples, all of them had trials. And number four, and these are foundational principles. Number four, it is incorrect to assume that exposure to Bible instruction alone will result in the removal of all your difficulties. So sorry, guys, these sermons aren't going to do it. You're going to have to look elsewhere there, I think. It's one thing to grow old in the Lord. It's another thing to grow up in the Lord. Big difference. And many people faithfully attend church, they never miss it, small groups, Bible conferences, whatever they have, soak up all these great truths, and that's awesome. Yet, we still exhibit behavior that is inconsistent with all the knowledge that we've been acquiring. Remember what Jesus said in Matthew 7, 24, Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against the house. Yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain came down, and the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. And it fell with a great crash. Isn't it interesting? Both builders heard Jesus' words, but only one put them into practice. Simply knowing the truths of the Bible does not in and of itself produce maturity. It's not going to solve one single trial until we begin to apply it. And that's why it's so important for us in this series we're going to appeal a lot to what's called the wisdom literature because wisdom is a, is a critical factor. And if we don't kind of get our mind wrapped around that at the start, a whole lot of what we're going to be talking about this summer uh, will get away from you. Someone has said that Psalms teaches us how to get along with God while the book of Proverbs teaches us how to get along with people. The book of Psalms helps you in your devotional life while the Proverbs helps us in our day-to-day -day practical living. Psalms kind of brings us into the heavenlies. 
But Proverbs sets our feet firmly in the grassroots of humanity. And most of these Proverbs, written by Solomon, wisest man who ever lived, I mean, this guy enjoyed tremendous wealth and rich, had tremendous spiritual heritage, passed on to him from his father David. And Solomon's advice on daily living is the practical kind of advice of somebody who struggled with trials, just as we do. And in Proverbs, Solomon opens the doors to his greatest treasure chamber, sharing with us the priceless wisdom God has given to him. So here's what we want to do. I want to jump into this. There's a number of things I want to accomplish in this brief message. Now, you know what brief means, don't you? Brief means, well, he's got less than seven pages. I have six and a half pages. How's that? You just got to go back to the book. There's four benefits of spending time in the book of Proverbs. Number one, by the way, this is in Proverbs 1, 4. I'll just read it to you. One, verses 1 through 4. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. Here's what they're for. For attaining wisdom, discipline, and for understanding words of insight. For acquiring a disciplined and prudent life. Doing what is right and just and fair. For giving prudence to the simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. All right, there's a number of benefits here. First benefit of studying Proverbs is you're going to gain wisdom and discipline. For the Christian, wisdom is looking at life from God's point of view, not yours and mine. The second benefit is we will learn to understand words of insight. If if wisdom is looking at life from God's perspective, then understanding is responding to life from God's point of view. That's the application part of it. Third benefit of of studying Proverbs is you're going to require or kind of receive instruction in what? In wise and disciplined behavior. Now, if you're going to acquire something, that that, uh, suggests action. You're doing something here. It's like plucking grapes from the vine and taking them with you. And in this case, it refers to the instructions that is to be, be picked and enjoyed from the vine in your life, day to day after day. And then the fourth benefit is you're going to gain, it's a word we don't use a lot today. It's called prudence. Can be translated discretion as well, but you're going to get this knowledge and instruction, and uh, it is so you'll be far-sighted, not short-sighted. Know the difference? Being able to see the bigger picture. Where will this road take us if we stay on this path? Uh, what will be the consequences if we do this or do that? What are the benefits? And by the way, I don't want you to miss this. Solomon specifically includes the young. Aren't you glad, all of you here today, that the young are included in this? Lost my place, David. Don't be doing that. I mean, it's true, though, isn't it, that when you grow up, you hear too often those words. Remember, well, you're not old enough to do that yet. You're not old enough to go with us there. You remember that? Terrible words, you know? Just make you almost question whether you wanted to be a child of that family, you know? Solomon, however, puts no age limit on who can benefit from the study of this book of Proverbs. And here's why this is so crucial. 
You see, the young people of our world are being bombarded with the world's wisdom, if you, want, if you could call it that. It's the world's way of thinking. And as Christian parents especially, it's time that we give them more of God's word than allowing the culture to teach them. How we need to be really seriously thinking of this. You know, there are companies that whose sole purpose is to study and learn the ways of your children and young people so that they can manipulate what they will eat, what they will drink, what they will wear, what they will think, what they will do. And the media, of which so many of our kids are being raised today, is not exactly biblical. Would you agree with that? Especially when it comes to values. We must not only encourage our youth to learn the wisdom of Proverbs, but we need to model it ourselves. Now, toward the end of chapter 1, Solomon takes the abstract principles of wisdom, and he describes it as a person as a woman, and he says wisdom is crying out here uh, in, in a noisy thoroughfare of life. And so I don't want you to, get, you know, to miss this. We need to lift up our heads to hear what wisdom is saying. And from what she says, we can make three very important observations. First, to every one of us, wisdom is available. Wisdom is available. Verse 20. Wisdom calls aloud in the streets. She raises her voice in the public square. At the head of the noisy street, she cries out. In the gateways of the city, she makes her speech. If you had responded to my rebuke, she says, I would have poured out my heart to you and made my thoughts known to you. Isn't it interesting? God did not exhaust his supply of wisdom on Solomon. It's still available to every single time we open our Bibles. Wisdom is there. Secondly, not only is wisdom available, she can also be rejected. Wisdom can be rejected. Verse 24, but since you rejected me when I called and no one gave heed when I stretched out my hand, since you ignored all my advice and would not accept my rebuke. Let's stop for a minute. Our problem is not exposure to wisdom our problem is, is experiencing it, embracing it. We walk right by wisdom's outstretched hands every day. Basically saying, no, thank you. I know what I'm doing. I don't need any help. I want to pursue this, et cetera, et cetera. Wisdom can be rejected. Then number three, when wisdom is rejected, then the results are always bitter. You see it all through Scripture, if you've lived long enough, you see it all through life. You see, our problem is that when the opportunity is given to us to hear and learn from her, we don't always respond. Verses 26 and 32 describe what happens when you hear wisdom's voice and ignore it. Wisdom says, I in turn will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when disaster sweeps over you like a whirlwind and distress and trouble overwhelm you, then they will call to me. Then they'll be ready for me, but I won't answer. They will look for me, but they will not find me. Since they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord, 
Since they would not accept my advice and spurn my rebuke, they will eat the fruit of their ways and be filled with the fruit of their schemes. For the waywardness of the simple will kill them, and the complacency of fools will deny them and destroy them. You see, when we have rejected wisdom's healthy counsel over and over and over again, week after week, month after month, year after year, and instead get consumed with the wisdom of this world, the so-called wisdom, then you're going to experience some difficulty. And God does not send emergency packages of wisdom to make all your trials fade away. It's going to take a whole new approach, a whole new diet and strenuous exercise to get our values back in shape. Verse 22 describes then three types of people who reject wisdom. First is the simple. We might use the word naive. But the simple carries this idea of a wide open door. Uh, The simple person is open to whatever. I mean, easily influenced, gullible. This person lacks discernment, becoming an easy target for anybody wanting to lead them astray. The simple are really easily enticed. They don't have any understanding, so they're not aware of the danger. Solomon tells us in Proverbs 22, 3, a prudent man sees danger and takes refuge, but, but not the simple. The simple just keep going and suffer for it. Basically, he's saying that a simple person never learns from his mistakes. The original Hebrew conveys the idea that they're making the same mistakes today that they were making five years ago and will be making five years from now. In other words, without prudence or discretion, the simple are unable to look beyond the surface of things to see what's really there. And then there's the scoffer or mocker. The Bible word uses this word here, scoffer, to, to you turn aside, uh, you reject with enthusiasm, uh, you show disdain or disgust for anything that's good and wholesome and wise. Mockers don't simply agree to disagree. They are driven to scorn and ridicule anything that opposes their ideas. And wisdom warns us against our natural impulse when it comes to dealing with these kind of people. Proverbs 9, verse 7. Whoever corrects a mocker, you invite insult. Whoever rebukes a wicked man incurs abuse. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man, though, and he will love you. You see, no amount of counseling is ever going to change a mocker's attitude. No amount of exposure to biblical truth will penetrate their skepticism. And then there's the third type of person. It comes up a lot in Scripture. This one who rejects wisdom is called the fool. Now, typically, when we think of the word fool, we picture somebody who doesn't have any intelligence. They're not uh, smart. But the biblical meaning of fool is not so much lacking mental powers, but rather someone who, who reasons incorrectly. And no greater example can be found of this than Psalm 14.1. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Psalm, Proverbs 1.7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. 
the word also carries a connotation of, of wickedness and impurity. So, so th these are three different types of people who reject wisdom. But now let's, let's, uh, let's look at the person who embraces it. Look at the differences. Of the 186 different characters, I didn't even know this till this week, 186 different characters Solomon uses to parade the truth of wisdom. He uses this in his writings. In just Proverbs, one stands out above all the rest. They call him the wise man. He's first mentioned in Proverbs 1.5. Let the wise listen and add to their learning. Let the discerning get guidance. Another translation reads, the wise man is going to hear and increase in learning, and a man of understanding will acquire wise counsel. Now, if you take a, just a moment to look at this verse, again, here's some, this is foundational material that we're going to need going forward. Here are, are three traits which characterize wise people. You ready? Number one, wise people are willing listeners. Wise people don't mind to, to sit like you're sitting and hear teaching from Scripture. In fact, you look forward to it. As Christian writer Paul Tournier confirm, affirms, you listen to all the conversations of our world, those between nations as well as those between couples. And they are, for the most part, dialogues of the deaf. Each one speaks primarily in order to set forth his own ideas, in order to justify himself, in order to enhance himself, and to accuse others. But Solomon says a wise person will hear and will listen. Number two, wise people really do want to grow. They desire to learn and grow. In most of our culture, I think you would say that we concentrate our learning in our school years. And we want our children to know how to read, write, and arithmetic, and all that sort of thing. And we, we figure that when we finally get done, with, you know, and you're graduating, that uh, pretty much your learning's over. But anybody that's lived a while knows that's not the case. Learning new things and expanding horizons is, is a part of our, our lifelong pursuit. Solomon even says we should increase in learning. You and I should be learning more even now it, uh, than we ever did before. So they're willing listeners. They want to learn and grow. And then number three, wise people eagerly seek out and accept counsel, wise, especially biblical counsel. You know what that means? That means you and I can't do this. I can do this myself attitude. Have you ever done that? Remember when you were little kids? You finally reach that point where you think you got it made and you just stand there and tell your parents, I can do that. I don't need any help. We, we have that call to independence. Some of us really, really strongly. But wise people realize that they don't know everything and they take to heart Solomon's advice in Proverbs eleven fourteen: For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but many advisors make victory. Sure. Now, you don't just take anybody's advice, obviously, but those that, just, that reflect discernment and seek out those who are wise. We need to be, you know what, we need to be, be like a certain group of people the Apostle Paul talked about in Acts 17, 11. They were called the Bereans. And what was different about them? They were more noble of character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness 
and then examine the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's neat. I mean, through the application of wisdom principles, we can be like that as well. Now, here's what I want you to understand, why we started this series this way. Many, many of the things that you and I get ourselves into are born in places in our life where wisdom doesn't live. Have you, can you think right now of the last really doofus thing you did? I don't need a hand. Nobody show your hand and give a testimony, okay? I can just tell by some of your expressions, you, you know. I can also tell when someone looks at you that's near you that they know you've done something too, you know. I mean, that's just, if we're going to talk about how to have victory over our challenges and trials, before we ever get started, we've got to give, give a commitment to Christ to say, you know, we want to see what the Bible says about our lives. And it's particularly, and it covers everything. What wisdom do we need to look at first? Because many times we suffer because we really haven't taken the time to do that. All of us need regular checkups when it comes to our attitudes. And before wisdom can have her way with us, we've got to take a look at what the trials and problems are. We've got to examine them carefully, not be simple-minded, not be foolish, and begin the practice of applying God's healing oil of wisdom to the trials that we face. Now, how do you get this? Well, James 1.5 tells us. I love this verse because it's, it's so helpful to us. If any of you lacks wisdom, okay, who does that Leave anybody out here? If anybody lacks wisdom, then what should he do? We should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and wisdom will be given to him. Now, earlier I quoted what's called the serenity prayer. Many of you have heard this. It was What you may not know is that they don't really give you all the prayer. This prayer originally was written by an American theologian named Reinhold Niebuhr. Here's how he began it. God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. But he goes on to say, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardships as the pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did this sinful world as it is, not as I would have it, and trusting that he will make all things right if I surrender to his will so that I may be reasonably happy in life. Isn't it interesting that they cut off the very best part of the prayer and you never hear the rest of the story. And my prayer and desire for our church is that we will ask our Heavenly Father to help us stop viewing our troubles from an earthly perspective, but to see them from God's point of view. Now this next Sunday, we're going to be honoring our graduates, but the following Sunday, we're going to come back to this series on how to tackle your trials and how to live a victorious Christian life. Anybody against that? Do you want to live a really defeated, miserable Christian life? Frustrating? No, no I don't think anybody's against that. We need to know how to do this 
And I want, to, want you to think deeply in the next couple of weeks about the wisdom that is required for us to really, really, really manage our lives. Father, thank you so much. What a beautiful day it's been here already, and we're making progress in so many ways, Father. And I thank you for these folks that have come out to worship you. Thank you for the testimonies we've heard from our musicians and singers today. And Lord, I just ask that you would help us now, as we're looking ahead, recognize that we've got some steps to take. Everything happens for a reason. We've gone through almost a year of setback and challenge and frustration. Help us know what to learn from that and take away with. And Lord, as we go on into the summer series, help us be very, very careful to bring all of our troubles and issues before your throne of grace and mercy. And may we receive the strength we need, we will, if we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand together as we sing.